بسم الله الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته I'd like to welcome everyone to the eighth episode of the Life Hub podcast. I want you to imagine for a moment that this pandemic is over. So we move beyond this pandemic. I want you to imagine now life has gone back to normal and you are reflecting upon all the things that occurred to you during this pandemic. So I want you to think now in a different mindset. This uh stressful situation this uh, worldwide chaos is now behind you and you are reflective upon what you accomplished and one of the things that you had to endure during this time was a very unique ramadan how did that ramadan go now let's pause here for a moment what makes some of the great achievements in our history so great what makes the battle of badr so great what makes the achievements of khalid bin walid radiyallahu anhu so great what makes the achievements of the muhajirun so great was that they achieved what they achieved under uh, huge odds through unsurmountable odds they were able to become victorious so for example would the battle of badr have such a huge impact on the people who study the battle of badr or who come to know about the battle of badr if the odds were even or if the muslims had greater number than the mushrikeen would the uh, historians study the achievements of khalid bin walid radiyallahu anhu if he did not uh, overcome such huge armies and world superpowers with less resources uh less men less materials uh under all these great odds that he had to face what made those achievements so great were the challenges the problems that they had to endure to achieve their goal now this ramadan can pass and these moments that we are isolated can pass uh and you won't really have much stories to share you can say that you know we had to just isolate ourselves uh we ran low on toilet paper for a brief period of time uh we uh there was uh you know some uncertainty and what not so you might now think about the stories that you would share of how, you know the ramadan that um you had to uh practice or the ramadan that you experienced during this pandemic and then you say you know what it was it was very uneventful uh we weren't able to go to the masjid so we didn't pray as much uh we uh we didn't end up finishing the quran because no one read the quran for us so this is one experience that you can have another experience you can have is that there was a worldwide pandemic unprecedented in our generation and perhaps uh what no nobody has experienced worldwide in 100 years and that was the best ramadan that i ever experienced it was the best ramadan because of the challenge that we faced and it was the most memorable ramadan and it was the one that i connected the most with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala i never felt closer to my rabb than i did 
during the Ramadan, during the pandemic. I never felt more grateful to Allah SWT than I did then when I was uh, practicing Ramadan during the pandemic. Because my dear uh, brothers and sisters, we need to appreciate that the whole point of Ramadan is that we develop this taqwa. It's not fasting just alone. That's it, fasting, because a lot of times we regulate the month of Ramadan. We regulate our acts of worship as just we're marking off this checklist. Okay, I fasted during the month of Ramadan. Okay, I uh, prayed tarawih. I, I finished the Quran. And you just keep checking off all these different items on this list. And maybe you didn't change your character. You didn't change your behavior. You didn't change your mindset. Uh, more than a temporal time during that month of Ramadan. But what we should appreciate is beyond that, if the purpose of Ramadan is that we become more God conscious, we become more connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then wouldn't this pandemic be an added elevation for us to reach that level of taqwa? Wouldn't that be a, a, it could be a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I've never been elevated to a state of taqwa as I did during this worldwide pandemic where people, where you have so many millions of people in the world and we're going to talk to our, inshallah, our guest coming up and he's going to share uh, some of this, how people are turning uh, to their uh, to search for their purpose. They're yearning to search for their purpose. They're yearning uh, to connect uh, with their Lord and to get some type of clarity in these uh, times. And if we can, uh, if we appreciate that if one of the main ingredients that we want to accomplish, one of the main objectives is for us to gain taqwa, then there may be no other uh, time better than this to achieve that uh, when we are practicing uh, Ramadan, which will, uh, within a week, we will be within the month. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he tells us, uh, that he would save us from harm in any way if So if we are steadfast and patient and we uh, have taqwa Now what other better opportunity uh, than this pandemic Where we have to exhort a tremendous amount of patience We have to be uh, significantly steadfast and uh, we have to, we have the ability now through uh, Saum and Salah and Qiyam and reading Quran uh, to attain a greater level of Taqwa. So uh, this Ramadan, uh, we can look back at it as being one of the most memorable and beneficial Ramadan of our life. If we change ourselves and we appreciate uh, the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. All right, my dear brothers and sisters, I want to welcome our guest uh, all the way uh, beamed and connected uh, through the blessing of modern technology uh, that we're giving by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from Houston, Texas. And um, we have uh, many of us who've uh, been in the Dawah here in the West, we've actually appreciated his company. Uh, he's done uh, some Dawa projects with us here as well uh, up in Canada. He's very involved uh, with uh, AIRA and, and a lot of the Dawa, especially in the United States. And um, inshallah, we're going to benefit uh, from uh, an update of how the community is doing 
in Texas, and also perhaps we can uh, do some reflection and get some reminders as well. So I'd like to welcome my dear brother, uh, Sheikh Fahad Taslim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you doing, Dr. Sayyid? Alhamdulillah. Uh, welcome to the uh, podcast, my brother. And uh, just to start off here, uh, it seems that Texas, although you have uh, you know just uh, above sixteen thousand cases, uh, from what I see here, there's about uh, they've reported about four hundred deaths. Uh, it's not being hit as hard as uh, many of the other states uh, in your country. Uh, what is the uh, feeling on the ground there in Texas? Uh, is it um, is it a panic? Like is it just you know, um, people are just dealing with it. What's the um, the air, so to speak, uh, in Texas at this point? Okay, well, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen, wa salatu wa salam, ala rasulihi al-kareem, ma'abad. So I'll tell you this much. Initially, uh, back in March, there was a lot of panic. And that's mm. why we had the whole toilet paper fiasco with, uh, you know, the stores finishing off on toilet paper, uh, canned goods, etc. I think what's happened now is that people are kind of realizing, you know, uh, like for instance, a lot of the stores have kind of put in this policy where they're limiting people on how much they can buy, just because mm-hmm. the idea is like, look, it's not as bad as you think it will be. So that was kind of initially where it was going. I was okay. It's gonna, you know, everyone thought it's gonna be like the worst case scenario. We have to stock up and basically hoard, um, which was interesting because from an Islamic standpoint, we are not supposed to hoard, right? The whole yeah. idea is about you know sharing and making sure that our neighbor is you know doing well. Uh, and how are you define a neighbor? It could be forty houses down. Uh, so that was kind of a starting test for the Muslim community here. Is in how are we going to are we going to be like the community and kind of hoard everything or are we going to stick with our principles and understand that well we have to understand that we are part of this as the you know as as a human condition mm-hmm. uh, so initially that's where it was going uh then we saw that there was kind of the epicenter in New York where it's really skyrocketed there and it's become, it's it was just it's extremely bad i mean it was bad it's just getting worse uh, now the feeling on the ground is more that okay, well that was that's one epicenter. Perhaps the next next epicenter might be you know L.A. and maybe even Texas. So the idea is now, all right, what can we do to curtail this? Um, how do we you know how how do we flatten the curve for you know uh, for all intents and purposes? So uh, the like uh, obviously I I would say. If any country needs to worry at this point, it's going to be the United States. Yeah. Uh, almost 700,000 cases, uh, the most deaths than any other country, over 35,000 deaths now. Right. And um, and there's there's various degrees of conflicting reports of how well the pandemic is being managed. Sure. Uh, because obviously you have it on the state level, it's being managed yeah. in a certain way, and then you're getting some rhetoric from the national level. Sure. So, ha, ha, what what is your sense? Do you feel that um, the way that it's being managed in Texas, in particularly, uh, do you feel comfort in the way that is being managed, or do you feel some level of anxiety, or perhaps you feel that it could be better managed? Uh, um, 
I mean, it can always be better managed, right? I mean, that's, um, you know, I mean, even if we if we take like New York as an example, there's always things that you can improve on. Uh, now, specifically in terms of Texas, yeah, I mean, there are certain times when, let's say, the state government would make certain um, decrees or whatever you might call them, which kind of made us a bit um, a bit worried. And I'm talking about that specifically from the viewpoint of the Muslim community, right? Because yes. as I don't know if this is the case, you know, uh, where you are, but even within the Muslim community, you have this idea of like, okay, are we supposed to now leave off the masjid and stay in our homes? Or, you know, does the masjid have a certain right that we have to go and we have to attend Jummah and things like that? So you have this this tension within the community. And alhamdulillah, the local, the, you know, the local kind of umbrella organization here called ISGH, uh, they were upon this really early and they shut down the masajid, right? Uh, but even with them shutting down the masajid, you had people that were gathering outside the masjid, you know, in, initially for Salat al-Jummah and things like that, uh, which, you know, w was something that, that could be very dangerous. Now, tying that to like the government response, um, I think when they talked about essential services, one of the essential services that was listed was, okay, well, congregating in your, in your, in your church or your religious institute which can be very dangerous because a congregation in a supermarket is very different than a congregation in a church or a synagogue or a mosque right you're not going to yes. be practicing social justice or social justice social distancing in yeah. a masjid or a church or a synagogue like you would be at a supermarket i saw some i saw some reports that yeah. there was some uh easter sunday services yeah uh i, I don't know if it was in texas but definitely there were churches holding uh, some Easter Sunday services uh, this past weekend. Well, I mean, I, I will say this. So whereas the government is, is is you know, there's one kind of element of the government and how worried about it, you know, and then the certain uh, rules that they're putting in place and maybe lack of rules that they have. I think what it's, what our situation in Texas and maybe even like in the, in the Southern Bible Belt, you can say, it's reflective upon uh, how the majority of, religious institutions have kind of stepped up and understood that there is, you know, there's the idea of the religion and the practices itself, but then there's also the idea of, you know, protecting people and their safety. So what you'll notice is even on Easter weekend, a large number of churches basically had their services online via Zoom, or even if they were mm. congregating, but they really did kind of did this kind of drive-through congregation where you could kind of just drive through and get the yeah. blessing. Of the, of, of the priest or whatever it might be. Um, so I think it showed that, uh, you know, people of religion in general uh, understood their responsibility at this time, right? So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I think it was, it was, it, it kind of positively reflected upon people of religion in general, uh, whether you're coming from a church, a synagogue, or, or a masjid. So, are you finding there's a lot of unity and organization amongst the uh, Muslim organizations in Texas? Houston, maybe specifically. Um, yeah, I mean, Houston has one of the benefits is that we have a, a large umbrella organization, which is mm. called ISGH. And under that, you have a, a large number of masjids in Houston that come under the umbrella organization. And I don't think this is I don't know of any other place that has such a such a structure. And obviously, this type of structure has positive and negatives, right? So you have a structure like this, it's larger, it may at times have more bureaucracy. <laughs> there may be kind yeah. of some challenges that other like independent masjids might not have to deal with. But uh, by and large, I think there's been kind of a united front with ISGH and other organizations. So what ISGH does is it brings 
um, let's say, scholars from other masjids, other organizations on a common platform to say, how are we going to address, for instance, um, the coronavirus and, and what are some of the fatawa we can agree upon and, and what are some of the things we can agree upon? So I think it's been a good, strong, united front, even though there have been, you know, um, isolated cases of people congregating uh, certain masjids saying we're going to have Jummah. What we'll do is we'll limit it to 10 people uh, per Jummah and we'll have, you know, 25 Jummahs throughout the entire day or something like that. <laughs> there was a case yeah. or something like that where that was happening. But that's very limited. I think by and large, uh, Muslim organizations, at least here in Houston, have been really proactive and really in front of the issue. So, Okay. And, and what about the... Um... Uh, the humanitarian uh, aspect of it, because they're mentioning that food banks are uh, being, you know, tapped out. There's a, a big concern with, you know, people being able to meet their basic necessities. Right. Uh, has that been a concern in like the community or is the community generally affluent and they're able to just uh, take care of themselves or within the Muslim community itself? And then also maybe existentially uh, uh, the uh, greater community. Right. So, I mean, in terms of the Muslim community itself, I'm, I'm not really sure if I could speak on that, right? Yeah. I mean, you've got quite a diverse community. If you speak about Houston, I think we mm. either have the second largest or third largest Muslim population in the entire United States. So mm. for me to make a blanket kind of like, yes, the majority are affluent and, and they're not really worried about it or no, they're very worried about it. I, mean, I think it's going to differ from place to place within Houston itself, right? Um, yeah, there are certain sections of the community that may not feel the same type of, um, let's say, humanitarian calling just because they haven't really experienced the type of, you know, lack of, 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 of food or money or whatever you might call it, right? Uh, mm. At the same time, we do have like a lot, a, lot, a lot of Muslim businesses, which they're really feeling the pinch. And um, you have Muslim organizations that are coming together and trying to help out, right? So um, I think there's Helping Hand, um, there's ICNA, ICNA. They have a lot of services where they're they're kind of looking at the broader community within Houston and trying to see where they can where they can fill the holes where people are, let's say, not able to eat on something that that basic. So yeah, okay. And then yeah. in terms of uh, cases within the community, like are there uh, how prevalent are, are are there are do you know of uh, many cases like Muslims that ha have contracted the virus? So I don't I don't think we, you know, one of the things we 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 have not done um, is and in fact I think this is a, an issue maybe with Muslims across the board is that we don't really do much in terms of uh, gathering of statistics, right? Mm. <laughs> Even in the field of dawah, it, it's something that's really important. Yeah, we don't really do much of. It. So I don't think we have a, a a a solid number in terms of how many Muslims were affected, how many were you know, diagnosed, how many are hospitalized, how many have passed away. Yeah, you'll have your um, you know notices that are sent out via email, via WhatsApp, like you know so and so's grandmother recently passed away uh, because mm -hmm. she she was tested positive with with coronavirus, right? Uh, somebody else might say, okay, well you know I've been tested and you know I've been I'm tested positive, but again those are those are things that you hear about via, let's say, social media, WhatsApp, email, et cetera. But again, in terms of numbers, I think that'd be a difficult thing to pinpoint because we just don't, I mean, we have better numbers in terms of how many people within a zip code have been affected by coronavirus as opposed to how many Muslims within Houston have been affected by it.
but there has been like alerts that have gone out that uh, so and so. Oh yeah, of having a, And how, how do you know how they're managing the Janaza for people? So uh, I, been... I, I do not know how they're managing the Janaza um, because generally, you know, I mean, we've been working more in the field of Dawa, etc. You know, mm. and kind of my 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 time has been consumed online a lot uh, yeah. with that aspect. So more of the imams and the local uh, mashayikh and things like that. I think they're kind of handling the Janais. Um, okay. more so, um, and how they're handling it. So, um, yeah. but there are notices that have gone out. There are fatawa that are issued, um, and they've done a pretty good job of kind of, you know, getting the the you know getting the the message out to the public. You know, in terms of what they've decided specifically, I'm not 100 percent sure. So, okay. Yeah. So you you mentioned that uh, online you've been uh, increased your DAO efforts. Uh, I think everyone has. Yeah. Uh, diversified and they've transitioned to online platforms to stay connected with people. So uh, what yeah. does that look like for you? So you're starting to connect more with, is it, because I know you're um, involved with IERA, so is it primarily yeah. non-Muslims that you're connecting with or are you connecting also with Muslims? So it's primarily non-Muslims. Uh, one okay. of the one of the things we noticed early on is that as people started to be um, you know, they, they, they started to be in quarantine, uh, they started to be limited to their houses, they really start to ponder upon deeper existential questions, right? Why am I here? What is the meaning of all of this? You know, uh, where does it all end? What happens when I die? Um, and so one of the things we did is we used our non-Muslim platform, which is onereason.org, um, where we have, we have quite a few people visit it, non-Muslims that visit it, and it's got a lot of information about Islam, et cetera, on it. But we added a chat feature to it, and we started to uh, run some Facebook ads and ads on other platforms, whereby we, you know, we started getting a lot of traffic and a lot of live chatting. So a big part part of my day is spent. I'm, I'm, you know, doing live chats with people from all over the world that are again thinking about deeper questions about life and meaning and purpose and all those things. So do you find most of these people they have a real sincere desire to? to explore that those topics more or do you uh, find uh, like because you know there's a demographic of online sure. uh you know audience that just likes to argue and yeah. and just debate and stuff like that so are these more sincere questions that are, they're truly seeking the truth or are there people just looking for a debate uh it depends on the day man <laughs> so some days you'll get a lot of people that are just more into let's just go to debate and those are yeah. relatively more difficult days for me because I'm not um, I really don't uh, don't subscribe to just debating someone until we've proven them completely wrong um, yeah. and then some days you'll have people that are just sincerely looking for well what does it all mean you know and those are more refreshing days um, yeah. so you know it, it's a mix I mean there's people you know you'll, there are people that are come that will come on as a strategy to make dawah to Muslims and how to get them to, you know, um, accept the, the 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 savior Jesus Christ in your life or whatever it might be, right? Oh, yeah, so, they're trying to give you dawah, right? Yeah, yeah. Then you're going back and forth, and you know, they're yeah. man mentioning biblical verses and this and that, and you're just like, oh man, you know. Uh, so you'll have that on occasion. You'll have your, you know, you have your haters on occasion, like you know, why y'all kill the people, you know, all that sort of thing, and. But, you know, and, and then you'll have days where you have people that are just sincerely looking for, you know, what does it all mean? You know, and, and you know, it's interesting. We had I had a person that I was chatting with 
and they were very curious about Ramadan, right? They're like, look, you have this month that I've heard that's coming up, and um, you know, I'd like to actually fast. I'm not a Muslim, but it just seems like there's a certain spiritual significance in just being cooped up in my house. I just want to connect with, you know, something greater than myself. And so I think yes. Ramadan would be a good opportunity for that, you know. So, you know, one of the things that I think Ramadan, you were mentioning that earlier, um, you know, one of the things that we can do in Ramadan as opposed to, you know, how to make Ramadan even better. Um, and obviously there's bias in this, but you can share this with people that you know at work and so on and so forth, right? It's yeah. a great opportunity to do that. And especially if people are cooped up in their houses, you know, they're going to have certain questions about, you know, life and purpose. It's a great opportunity to reach out to them, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah. what would you see as the percentage of people who have those sincere questions? Like I said, man, it depends day to yeah. day, right? Some days, you know, all four or five hours is just going with, you know, like, you know, seven or eight chat boxes that are open. And most of them are just, they want to know, you know, how, how exactly can you prove Islam and the Quran and these things. And, yes. you know, you have to deal with that. And then certain days you'll have where you're, you know, your four or five hours are gone with, a big, large number of people who just are curious about what Islam is and what it can offer them, right? Um, how, how do you stay refreshed? Like, how do you stay energized? Because it seems like that can suck a tremendous amount of energy from you. So how do you stay energized? Right. Like, because you're saying there's some people who are going to be like just sucking you with like these uh, argumentative types of questions or you're they're trolling or whatever. Yeah. And then on one hand, it, because that unpredictable unpredictability itself can be somewhat draining because you don't know what to expect yeah. that day right no i don't know what to prepare for you absolutely. know so how do you stay energized you know on this online platform it's hard i i find well you know um i mean do you really want to know do you want to know like in essence what keeps a person what will keep someone energized in this in this field are, are you well, sincerely well, asking that like well what, what keeps well, you motivated yeah like for you specifically because I think every daya has, a, you know, their what they draw upon. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, or like it could be part of it, could be a routine. Part of it sure. uh, is like, you know, they 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 have a way of charging them themselves up, sure. right? So, but you obviously so, have a deep desire. You have a deep purpose of doing the dowry. So you wouldn't be there in the first right. place. Right. But you know, I'm always interested uh, to know that because especially with 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 uh, du'at that have been in the game. 20 30 40 years yeah you want to you want to last right you want to yeah. be sure. you know in there for the long run so i'm, I'm going to give you uh i'm going to give you an uh, a very i'm going to give you a direct answer and when you hear it first you might be like okay yeah i got it um but i'll, I'll kind of elaborate on it all right so the thing the the best way to keep motivated that i found personally and i think any daya you ask who's been in the game very you know for 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 a long time um is the quran i mean there is nothing like you know anything that's going to motivate you like a constant relationship with the quran and in fact you know i'll tell you just on a personal basis uh i'll notice that if i don't put in some time with the quran um it's going to affect my dawah it's going to affect how motivated i am right so it becomes very important that, you know, that, that a relationship with the Quran, I mean, that's really what's going to keep you grounded, right? Especially with all the yeah. vicissitudes of life and calling people to Islam, whether you're, 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 you know, you're, you're counseling Muslims or you're dealing with non-Muslims, uh, you know, 
a lot of that has to do with how strong a person's relationship is with the Quran. You know, I usually say that if, if we had a Muslim superhero, uh, the one superpower they have is the Quran, right? The stronger yes. the connection with the Quran, I mean, there's nothing that can that can take you on, you know, uh, and that and that has to do mm -hmm. not, not only with just studying the Quran, but also just having a, a, a spiritual relationship with Allah via the Quran, right? That you understand that yes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking to us and Allah knows us better than we know ourselves, right? So we may feel, okay, well, you know, in this particular situation, you're down, whatever it might be, um, you know, and you'll open the Quran, maybe just even randomly, and uh, an ayah will come at you, and you just, you're like, wow, subhanAllah, you know, this is mm -hmm. obviously in the will of Allah that, that I read this particular ayah, you know? Like, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Um, we had a program uh, in Dallas some time ago, and it was on the, it was, it was a, it was a kind of a, a session between myself and a, and, a, and a Christian on salvation. And um, they came with a question. They said, look, uh, you know, it, are you promised paradise? Right. That's a that's a very kind of you can say a typical question from someone that wants you to accept Christianity. Right. Because the idea yes. is we're guaranteed paradise and you're not. So clearly yeah. you should accept Christianity. Now, I mean, subhanAllah, that morning I was reading Surah Al-Baqarah. And in Surah Al-Baqarah, there's an ayah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قُلْ إِنْ كَانَتْ لَكُمُ الدِّينَ مِنْ دُونِ النَّاسِ Like say, if say that if the hereafter, right? Not deen, akhirah, uh, is for you in exclusion to all people, فَتَمَنَّعُ الْمَوْتِ So hope for death in كُنْتُمْ صَادِقِينَ And when he asked me that, I said, look, this is an ayah from the Qur'an. If you are really sincere that you are absolutely sure you're entering paradise, then why are you wasting your time here in this world, man? Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we are similar, all sim day. similar ayah in Surah Al-Jum'ah as well, right? Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking uh, about. Of course. Yeah. So, I mean, but I was reading Surah Al-Baqarah that morning. That's what really yeah, struck, yeah. struck me. And so when it came down to it, I asked him, I said, so why are you wasting your time here? If you are guaranteed paradise, khalas, why are you, you have trouble with your kids, your spouse, you know, you get a flat tire, you got to worry about taxes, you know, all this other stuff. Forget it, right? Now, I'm not advocating suicide. But what I'm saying is, if in Quntum Sadiqeen, if that is truly what you believe, then why wait? You know, and that's what we really need to ask ourselves. Because yeah. at the end, we understand that, you know, that we will have a judgment, right? We're going to be held accountable. It's not a simple question of, you know, someone's taking care of my sin problem and I'm good to go. So anyway. I'm, I'm so, glad that you. Uh, I'm glad that you uh, prefaced prefaced it by saying that you know I know it sounds simple, but it is the key because I feel that people when they haven't really done that, they haven't made made their uh, connection with the Quran as such as it uh, as it's a necessity for them. Yeah. You know, then they don't understand what you're saying. Yeah, they have to go through that process. Uh, to appreciate that, so you know, you're you're in that state where, oh yeah, I, I went to the Quran, but it didn't give me that instantaneous uh, change or that boost. Right. But guess what? It, that, that didn't even happen to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. It came yeah. down in stages. Uh, yeah. They were building themselves up through the ayat of the Quran, even the way that they studied it, the way that they memorized it, the way that they implemented it. It was through stages. It was it was a it was truly like Kalamullah. It's not just right. to be a book on a shelf where, okay, this yeah. is theoretical, this is knowledge, this is just for, uh, you know, a, a trivial pursuit. This is an actual way for you to live. 
Yeah. It's an actual way for you to be guided uh, through all matters in, in life, uh, in all levels, like, you know, yeah. mentally, emotionally, and so many different levels. But when when you don't have that, you it's like, for example, uh, would you ever say I can survive without water? You know, I need yeah, that water. Not. You know, I need that. That's just automatic. Without water, I'm going to be thirsty. I got to get back to that basic. I need water. So until you've made that uh, same level of need with the Quran, then you, I feel you appreciate it more until you get to that level. And when you uh, appreciate that, listen, uh, from the time of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum to our time, uh, there was many instances where all the Muslims had was the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. You know what I mean? They didn't have uh, the materials, they didn't have the numbers, they didn't have, uh, you know, all the different uh, materialistic, uh, you know, luxuries. They had the Quran. If you look at, you know, for example, even uh, people who have been able to survive prison. How did you survive prison? It was with the Quran. Yeah. You know, so if you look at any situation uh, that a Muslim had has had to struggle through and achieved greatness through these huge odds, like the Quran played a significant role for them to be yeah. able to do that, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, look, that's that's kind of the, you know, when you, when you, when you mentioned it earlier about, you know, people think they're going to open the Quran and it's just going to be some sort of, you know, magical moment that, you know, they just, they're, 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 they're lifted to cloud nine because of just what the Quran has just done. It's so amazing. You know, look, there is a certain aspect of the Quran that is easy, right? There's no doubt about it. Like memorizing the Quran, uh, you know, there are certain aspects of the Quran that are easy. But at the same time, there is an expectation of you engaging with the Quran and that that will have a level of difficulty, right? So when you have an expectation, I'm just, I should just open it and I'm just going to be carried away. I mean, but at the same time, you know, there is an aspect of putting in effort. So like I'll give you an example. Um, you know, I was talking with my son this morning and, uh, you know, we were talking about kind of, you know, working hard. And I told him, I said, look, you know, we really, you know, in order to achieve anything, you have to work hard, right? There are always two paths and, um, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always going to give you two paths, right? And, you know, so you look at... Um, uh, what's the I am thinking about? Um, um, right? Yeah, so we yeah. guided you to the two, the two nudges, right? These two nudges. And so if you think, what is a nudge? It's like basically you have, it's, 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 it's a path that's going to be taking you somewhere and you've got two of them. One of them is going to be steep, which is Aqaba, right? You notice all the ayat after that are saying, what are the things? It's freeing a slave, it's feeding the poor. Those are things that take effort. So there's a steep path and then there's kind of a path that you just go with the flow, right? And the people of success are the ones that are going to be taking that tough path and eventually getting to the point where it's not only the path is tough, but they find pleasure in going across that path. I mean, that's really at the end of the day, when you think about what makes life pleasurable, um, it's having a true purpose and then struggling for that purpose, right? It's like, um, yes. who was it that said... Um, uh, I'm trying to think. The 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 there was a survivor from Auschwitz, uh, and he said that you know if if you can you know if you can find purpose in your suffering, then your suffering is no longer suffering. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So in other words, if we if we if we inculcate this idea that the Quran is something we're going to engage with, and it takes effort, 
then once you start to make that effort, you'll actually find it enjoyable. But it does take a person to come and, and let's say struggle with, you know, starting with like the Arabic language, right? A lot of people, they, they you know, they, they don't naturally speak Arabic. And even people that do, you know, are born in Arabic households or Arab households, um, they're going to find the Quran and the vocabulary of the Quran and the structure of the Quran. It's going to be difficult. But I'm telling you, I mean, once you've tasted it, oh man, there's nothing like it. Right. Yeah. I'm sure you can testify yeah. to this as well, you know. Yes. And, and, and you know, they they uh, they did a study where they found that people enjoy uh, what they're good at. OK. Yeah. And you're not good at necessarily by things that are easy. It's actually you're good at things that you've worked very hard. You put a lot of time and effort to achieve. Yeah. OK, so. Yeah. But 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 unfortunately, people look at what they enjoy as a very superficial level. They think if it's easy, I'll enjoy it, right? But that's yeah. not true. If it's easy, then usually you're not uh, you're either not uh, good at it or doesn't require too much skill. Okay. Right. So for example, anyone who's a professional uh, or in whatever endeavor that they are and that they're the top of their field, they put an incredible amount of time. They put an incredible amount of time and effort into becoming very good at that profession okay? yeah yeah and thereby because uh, people uh, they what, what happens those people put the cart in front of the horse they think they uh were enjoying it first and as such that they worked very very hard uh you know with it right. but actually when they look at it uh they find that especially when you're learning something initially, it's very, very difficult, okay? Yeah. So you can have a level of satisfaction, that's fine, but when you truly enjoy something is when you become good at it. And how do you become good at something? That you put an incredible amount of time and effort towards it. Right. You know what I mean? And even in evil things, like, you know, for people to enjoy something that's evil, right, or something that wastes your time, you put in an incredible amount of time to learn about it, uh, spend time with people who do the same activities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Everything requires that level of effort. Yeah. And the more effort you put into it, the more familiar you become with it and the more then you enjoy it, right? So I think that's the same principle uh, with the Quran is that initially you need to put in that effort so that you can, you know, you, you're, you're connected as you, as you mentioned, that maybe the person has trouble uh, reciting it or memorizing it or understanding it. But as you go through that process and you become better at it, you are, you're able to enjoy it much, much more, you know? So, yeah, no, uh, not, absolutely. And, and you know, again, come talking about those, like those two paths, you've got one that's going to have difficulty and then you have one that's going to be relatively easy. But the thing is, the enjoyability for the path that's easy eventually wears out, right? Like there's only so much Netflix you can watch before you get bored. Right. I mean, especially if there's no attachment to like your purpose or any sort of meaning. Right. I mean, true. Um, you know, if you if you think about kind of true pleasure or true happiness, it comes when you've attached your um, occupation or preoccupation to something that gives you uh, purpose. Right. And that's really what we call true pleasure. I and mean, that's why, you know, you find people. Yeah, they, they can they can have a type of pleasure uh, which is enjoyable at the moment. But in the long term, I mean, it's not really because it doesn't have meaning or doesn't have any sort of significance in the long term. It's just it's going to lose its um, the, the, the 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 allure very quickly. Right. Like the example, you know, we give a lot of times, you know, you know, we have this example about, you know, if you're on if, if 
if um, if you were in the middle of let's say this 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 uh, this webinar this talk right and then you black out and you end up on a plane now, you probably heard me give this example a lot right you end up on a plane now you were listening to me talking and then all of a sudden you black out you end up on a plane and you're in first class the seats are amazingly comfortable right and the temperature is perfect you look outside it's got that beautiful orange uh, you know that that kind of beautiful orange color. This the sunset is like right there. It's just it's it's beautiful to the eyes. And then a few minutes later, they bring your favorite food, and you and it's just it melts in your mouth. And and you're just you're feeling great. But the thing is, you might be have experiencing that pleasure for that moment, and that's great. But are you truly happy? Do you have meaningful happiness? Because you were just in the middle of listening to me talk, and all of a sudden now you're on a plane. Now you'd have. Some Something, certain existential questions that would be bugging you if, if you know, if, if you're a thinking person, right? Like, okay, how yeah. do I get on the plane? What am I doing on the plane? Where's the plane going, right? So yes. in a sense, if a person has those existential realities kind of squared away, they understand that there's a deeper purpose than your very existence. On this metaphorical plane of life, you know, we have a very clear, as Muslims, we have a very clear purpose. We're here to, you know, to worship Allah. Right. Uh, yeah. We have we know the destination. It is the hereafter. We know we were created from Allah. Right. So all of these existential answers then require us to then work towards a certain goal, you know, and that work that comes a certain point where, yes, it's difficult in the beginning. But after a certain point of time, you'll find that it is pleasurable. Right. Mm. And, and by the way, you know, I, I know I'm mentioning the Quran specifically. Right. But there are things, you know, this is very beautiful that. You know, Imam Malik once got a letter from one of his contemporaries, and you know his, uh, you know he was a scholar. He was a, you know, uh, he was also someone who used to worship Allah a lot, like he used to pray at night a lot. And so he told Imam Malik, he said, "You talk too much, right?" And I'm yes. paraphrasing here. In, in other yeah. words, like you know, you spend all your time teaching, and you should spend some time worshiping Allah. And Imam Malik mm -hmm. said, "I see the, I see the matter differently, right? Because just like Allah sends down risk, sends down provision." Right, with different sort of capacities, so does Allah send down good deeds, right? So just like you have people who are lawyers and doctors, engineers, whatever it might be, your profession is gonna be different. How you earn money is gonna be different. Just like that, there are certain deeds that Allah may make beloved to you that you can focus on, you know? And so it's almost like Allah gives you that as a gift. But even that gift that you receive, it takes a little bit of effort for you to even discover what is it that I find pleasure in, right? I mean, I might not, let's say, like fasting that much, but you know what? I really like helping my neighbor, right? And so therefore you start focusing on that, right? You start developing that. How are more ways that I can do that? Any sort of good deeds a person is going to do, I mean, you'll find that it takes a little bit of work, but then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to open up the door for you, right? And that's one of the important things about um, understanding the very crux of worship, right? Like Ibn al-Qayyim mentions this about, you know, the, you know, in, in Surah Al-Fatiha, right? You alone do we worship, but if we're left to our own devices to worship Allah, it is an extremely difficult endeavor. But then mm -hmm. it follows up with you alone do we seek for help in worshiping you. So not only is it that we're worshiping, we're asking Allah to help us in that worship. And just like that, when it comes to the Quran, there's no reason reason why it is dua upon it, it is piety upon knowledge and knowledge upon piety where we're asking Allah to make it easier for us and then struggling in that path and what you find is that Allah starts opening that path but again it, it goes back to 
we have to put in a little bit of effort in any sort of endeavor, any sort of thing that you want to achieve, whether it's related to the dunya or the akhira, there's going to be effort involved, right? Um, and some people are able to put in a lot, um, and that comes as tawfiq from Allah, but there's no reason why any of us can be cut off from that. Because we can always turn to Allah and ask us, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to open that door for us. And there are times, man, I mean, I'm sure you can testify to this. You know, you'll make dua for something and just out of, you know, out of nowhere, it's just mm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala manifests it for you. You know, and there's no reason why an engagement with the Quran cannot take that path as well. Yeah. You know? Well, I think you make a, a very valid point here in terms of like um, having to work you know, for something, because uh, it won't just come. Because then, you, I think also, if you don't work for it, you take it for granted. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and if you know, if you look at our, our, you know, the early Muslims, especially how they had to really suffer for what they believed in. You know, mm-hmm. they had to suffer. Like, for example, just going to learn from the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you're putting your life on the line sometimes. You're risking your life. Yeah. You're risking your yeah. well-being to do that, right? Yeah. Just to learn your deen. Yeah. And these early Muslims, man, they had to have appreciated. Look at how hard they worked to be able to like get to a point where they can worship at the Kaaba. Yeah. That's you true. know what I mean? Look Absolutely. at how hard they worked just to be able to pray, you yeah. know, publicly. You know, and a lot of these things we take it for granted. And I think this pandemic is a stark reminder. Look at uh, us now not being able to go to the masjid. Maybe we yeah. took that for granted. Exactly. You know, exactly. Uh, going to the masjid, going for a Jum'ah. How many times, you know, you sh- would people show up at the Jum'ah crusty eyed and like, you know, <laughs> maybe not even caring about how they're dressed at the Jum'ah. You know what right. I mean? None of the sunnah of the Jum'ah is there. You know what I mean? As soon as the taslim is made, it's like, okay, I'm out of here. And it's like rushing out. It's like you can hear yeah. the, the tires screeching, you know, in the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> right? right? So, like, and now, okay. You can't go for Jum'ah. Right. Now you're yearning for it, right? And if someone yeah. said, okay, there's one masjid you can go to, but it's an hour away, how many yeah. people, man, would be making that hour drive or two sure. hours drive? Yeah. A lot of people, yeah. right? Of course, Especially of during this time. They say, yeah. okay, this is a special masjid. They're going to test everyone. They have rapid testing at the entrance. Right. So then you will be safe when you come in there. So this is the only approved uh, masjid for you to come in and make Juman. I guarantee you, like there'll be so many people who would yeah, make that trek, right? To, to go, of course, right? Yeah, and it, yeah. it it would be so appreciative. I remember growing up, the there was like not uh, there wasn't a lot of masajid in the city. It grew over time, but when we had moved to that city, there wasn't that many masajid, and it was about a 40, 45 minute drive uh, to go to the masjid. And I remember when we used to drive, especially during Ramadan, like we would go for Fajr, uh, it was like an indescribable experience, man. I can't tell you the sweetness mm. of like driving for 45 minutes in the coolness of the morning uh, yeah. and praying in that peace and then and then driving back. Like I, I, the, the, I used to uh, at one point in my life live like uh, half a block away from the masjid and I'd walk to the masjid. Uh, and it was really beautiful to to go to that masjid as well on a regular basis. But I'm like, nothing has, uh, you know, been replicated. That that sweetness of yeah. those Fajr Salah or that Aisha that right. you would go there at night or even the Jum'ah, like, because it would be like 
uh, such heavy traffic to get there, and he, it, it just has this like feeling in my heart that I can yeah. I can never uh, erase. But I feel a lot of it has to do with the tremendous amount of effort uh, that it took just to get there. Yeah. No, abs- absolutely, man. I mean, that's uh, that's the reality. You don't realize what you have until it's taken away, right? Um, and that that has to do with like uh, spiritual practices as well. I mean, you know, you were mentioning earlier about Ramadan. This Ramadan is going to be challenging uh, because we we're not going to be able to just drive down, go for tarawih, you know, kind of uh, you know, listen to the Quran like we were, and in, in, you know, like you may be having a half in in the masjid and reciting it in a beautiful way, whatever it might be. Well, we're not going to get that, so that's going to add a level of of challenge. But at the same time, it's it's almost like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is just uh, kind of reminding us, man, like, look, you know, just you being a Muslim, you've got a, you, you've got so much to be thankful for. Right. Yeah. And that includes like the fact that you can freely um, practice your religion. Right. Like you mentioned, I mean, in the early days, uh, you know, within Mecca, that wasn't the case. And in fact, even in places in the world, I mean, look at China, man. I mean, there are places that like, you know, we're like, OK, we can't go for Tarawih. I mean, they haven't been able to go for Tarawih for how long, right? Yeah, or Jum'ah yeah or anything. exactly. I mean, exactly. so one of the things, and you know, this is one of the interesting aspects of when Allah tests us, sometimes Allah will test us to back to him, right? Mm. And that that's, you know, um, and, 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 and sometimes we'll be put in a certain situation where we lose some, you know, something or, or we're put, put to the trial and then it's the purpose of that is to increase us in our empathy, right? Uh, in our compassion. I mean, look, if, if, if we were to think about what is the one hallmark of the Prophet What is the one thing that defines the Prophet right? One of those main key elements is rahma, right? Is mercy, is compassion. I mean, the first revelation, it comes. Everyone knows the story. He goes home, he goes to Khatija. And, and and he says, cover me, cover me, right? Everyone knows the story. I mean, everyone, you know, if you've been to Sunday school or whatever it might be. Um, but when you really hyper-focus on that story, you find something really interesting. And that is that when Khatija tells him that, that Allah would never do that to you, meaning Allah would never send you astray, what is the dalil that she gives him? Like if I asked you, like what did she say to him after that? Like what is the dalil? What is the proof that Allah will not send you astray? What was it? Uh, let me ask, what do you think, Dr. Sayyid? That Allah would not send him astray because of his uh, uh, his good deeds, his character, yeah. what he used to do, how he used to treat his family, how he used to uh, exactly. you know treat the poor people. Right. So Allah would never send astray somebody who has been struggling to do good all their life. Exactly. And so that's what I'm trying to say is that, look, the very hallmark of the Prophet is that compassion, right? What does she say? She says, like, Allah would not do that to you. Why? Because you 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 know you you help the impoverished, you feed the impoverished, you help yeah. the orphans, you know you you come to people's aid, whatever it might be, and so that she uses that almost as a proof as to why Allah would not send him astray. What was it about that? It was his quality of compassion. What happens is when you and I are living our day to day lives, we have all of these blessings. Sometimes we forget that these are blessings. It's only when they're taken away, and then we start looking and pondering upon people that perhaps were. You know, you know, that don't have those blessings, right? And the only reason that we're now woken up to that is because we ourselves now understand, okay, now we don't have that blessing, right? Like I mentioned about China. I'll give you another personal example. So, um, you know, there was a couple, um, you know, a long time ago when I had my firstborn, I used to live in Virginia. 
And uh, okay. it used to be, it used to get in the winters, we'd have snow and things like that. And this is before they had uh, cell phones and things like that, right? So I remember I was driving somewhere and my, and my son was just an infant and I forgot my wallet at home and um, I realized that the car, my car had run out of gas. So I'm stuck at the side of the road, no way to contact anyone. It's bitter cold, right? It's snowing, it's cold. And I'm thinking, great, now what am I supposed to do, right? Um, and so just out of nowhere, someone pulls over and says, hey, uh, uh, looks like you're in trouble. And I was like, yeah, I just, you know, I forgot my wallet and, uh, um, you know, I, I just, I, I need to, I need to get some, I'm out of gas. So this guy, he goes to the gas station, buys a, 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 a tank, like, you know, those, those gas containers, brings mm -hmm. it to me, fills my car. And then I'm like, look, can you give me your address? I'll, I'll, I'll send you the cash. He goes, no, no, just don't worry about it. You know? And he goes off. Now that had such a, a deep impact on me that to this day, you know, in, in Houston, at least, I don't know if this happens over there. But sometimes you'll be at a gas station and someone will come up to you and say, hey, man, um, I need a couple bucks for gas. Or could you put a little gas in my car? To this day, I just I can't say no because I remember yes. the fact that experience that I had where Allah said, look, you know, there you're not always going to be able to get gas whenever you want. And there's other people that are not going to be in that situation. So have compassion. You know, the term compassion comes from compassio, to be at one with someone's pain. So Allah puts you in a certain state of pain sometimes so that you can increase your compassion because you're now understand their pain in a way that perhaps before you didn't right mm. and that's you know one of the benefits you know you know when we're looking at the virus and being stuck at home and having limitations of shopping whatever it might be i mean there's people that have those limitations across the world so yeah you know hasn't the you, time come you, now for us to be more compassionate on, on that on that note yeah. um uh, because you are in america and yeah. you are American. Yeah. Do you think, uh, perhaps I don't like this is going, man? <laughs> do you think you should like because it's going to uh, play off of your point? Do you think that uh, it would cause maybe people to be more compassionate with the plight of you know people, uh, you know, in the world right now? Like I know, uh, and 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 unfortunately, uh, you know, prior to this. Uh, you know, it, it was really uh, I, I, on one level, it can be very antagonistic. On another level, it could be very hateful. Uh, you know, there's all this, you know, rhetoric a lot of times with other people, whether it's migrants, uh, whether it's, you know, other countries, obviously, uh, we're being we're Muslim. And so there's a lot of Islamophobia. Yeah. Do you think that uh, this some something like this, like this pandemic can cause people to have a little bit more compassion to the plight of so many people who are disenfranchised in the world today? I mean, I would I would hope so, right? I mean, the thing is, people are always gonna look at things in different ways, right? Um, some people try to find a scapegoat for why they're suffering, right? So if they lost their job, uh, let's say they were, you know, they were an Uber driver, they can't drive Uber anymore. Well, why did I lose my job? Okay, one is the coronavirus, but then at the same time, we have all of these immigrants that have come here and they're the main people that are driving Ubers. So if there were less of them, I still might have income. That's one way of looking at it, you know? And so perhaps that might be the route that they take. The hope is, is that they would take the route of understanding that, okay, well, you know, I don't have this particular income. And there's a lot of people out there who don't have this particular income. And some of those, the reason why people migrated, perhaps so they could actually help their families and things like that. Look, the thing is, um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this in the Quran, that we are all, all of us, 
right? Muslim, non-Muslim. Um, mm. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhan nas, antumul fuqara illallah. Oh human beings, you are all impoverished before Allah. Wallahu al-ghaniyul hamid. And Allah is free of all needs and praiseworthy. The issue is, is when we forget that we are impoverished before Allah, that's when you find that the problems and issues arise, right? And why is it? What makes us forget? What makes us forget is, uh, um, you know, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for instance, says, Kalla insana la yatra. Indeed, the human being has transgressed. He's gone beyond the means. Why? They see themselves as self-sufficient, meaning they forgot that their total impoverishment is before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why did they forget? Because they saw themselves as self-sufficient. You're getting a paycheck every two weeks. You forget, okay, well, who is the true, uh, who is the true mun'im? Who is the true one that's benefiting you? Where is this income coming from? And so, you know, coming back to this, I mean, there's so many things that we take for granted. And when they're taken away, the, the purpose in taking them away is to bring us back. Some people will come back. Some people remember, okay, well, we are indeed fuqara illallah. We are impoverished for Allah. But at the same time, there will be people who will not, you know, and, you know, and it, it's, it's unfortunate. I was, I think I was, we were speaking earlier before we, uh, before the, before the, the, the recording and I, and you, and I think we were asking about like, well, what people on the boat, right? When the storm mm. comes, they call out Rabbi, Rabbi, right? Mm. But when they get back to shore, ah, they forget Allah, right? Forget it. You yeah. know, it doesn't, yeah. maybe some people will be like that, you know, once it's all said and done. We go back to our normal lives and then they forget Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm. The hope is we'll go back that, go back to worrying about uh reality TV stars. Like right. nobody like right now, you know, no one really cares. Actually, they're getting annoyed when celebrities say things now online. They're like, Man, you guys are so out of touch with reality. But and and they're and they're starting to actually be uh give more attention, they're showing more gratitude towards you know, teachers and doctors and you know, yeah. a lot of people who play more practical, important yeah. roles within society. Yep. But uh, what's going to happen, as you said, like, you know, are you, you going to switch back? Like, you're not going to make those existential reflections anymore. You're not going to be grateful to, like, you know, these doctors who are working on the front lines, these nurses that were working on the front lines, you know? Yeah. Uh, like, it's very easy to now switch back to just this way of ghafla that yeah. you were before, you know? Yeah, and and... and one thing that you mentioned that I really liked is reflecting upon how you will come out of this Ramadan different than other Ramadans, right? Because it's going to be different, right? Yeah. So if we if we don't want to be people who forget that we are impoverished for Allah, it's really important for us to take advantage of this Ramadan and make it, and like you said, make it a Ramadan where you look back upon it and you say, look, it was different than every single other Ramadan, right? It changed me because of the situation that I was in. So Yes, no doubt. People in general, we can think about people and what their state will be. Before we even get there, though, it's really a time we need to have self-reflection, right? Like, how am I, me as an individual, when I'm going through this test, what happens when I come out of it? Will I be like the people on the shore, right, who just forget Allah? Or will I be amongst people who will have spiritual elevation, that they come out of Ramadan better than they started? And, you know, we say this every Ramadan, right? You hear this, it's almost become cliché. Right, you you enter Ramadan, you want to come out as a different person. But this Ramadan, it's really going to be different, and you're really going to be put to the test. Right? How much engagement with the Quran are you going to have this Ramadan? Right? How how are you going to be 
patient, right? One of the qualities of Ramadan is that it's 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 about sabr. But the fact that you have your kids at home, you know, and or or your your you have your parents at home and you're dealing with your siblings, and you're gonna have to have a level of patience while you're fasting that's gonna be higher than it typically is when you're in school or, or at work or whatever it might be, right? How are you going to deal with that? And what how how are you gonna come out of this month a better person? A person who's more closer to Allah, who understands his utter dependence. You know, one of the things I was reading earlier, uh, really fascinating, is that, you know, and Ibn Qayyim mentions this, is that one of the things that Allah loves is that when the human beings start to take on certain uh, qualities of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? So he says that, for instance, Allah is al-alim and he, and, and he loves that his servants have knowledge, right? Allah is al-hakim, he loves that his servants have um, wisdom. Allah is... He is, um, uh, um, he is, uh, let's say, Ar-Rahim, Ar-Rahman. He loves that his servants have mercy. One of the things about Ramadan is that you're fasting. And so what is the thing about fasting is that you are cutting yourself off from food as if you don't need it. Because Allah is free, is Al-Ghani. So you're emulating this aspect of Al-Ghani with the result of understanding that indeed you are totally dependent upon Allah. Even though you're trying to emulate his independence, but in that emulation, you come to understand your total dependence upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's a very beautiful point that Ibn Qayyim makes. But it comes down to, am I going to leave this month closer to Allah, spiritually elevated? Or is it going to be like every other Ramadan that came before it, except that I was stuck at home? You know? So. Yeah. Like, like, what is your pandemic story going to be? Oh, I watched this series on Netflix. Oh, yeah, I played do this that. video game. Please don't you, do that. You, you understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I want you to think back and like, look at what your pandemic story is going to be, right? Like, right. And is that something that should be written in a history book? Yeah. Is that something that you would want in your book of deeds uh, announced to the whole, you know, uh, world that ever lived that, okay, this is what I did during the pandemic. Great. What a great achievement. Yeah. Whereas this pandemic, imagine... Like I, I was telling uh, one of the brothers, like uh, uh, who who's in the healthcare sector, and I was trying to like um, you know motivate him and, and uplift his spirits. I said, I want you to think about this, brother. You are uh, serving at a time. You're working at a time where this is unprecedented in human history. You are out there in the health, like in the pandemic. Like this is for the history books. Yeah. This is like this is like where were you in Badr? Like where were you in these like major world events? Right. Where right. were you like when this famine like it's this is unprecedented. So yeah. if you do something great during this time, it's even a great it's a much more greater achievement. Sure. You know, like imagine like the surahs that you memorized during the pandemic, you will have a different connection to them than any other surahs that you memorized. Yeah, you know what I mean. Absolutely. The 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 things that you could change, yeah. uh, I'm sure, would be much more meaningful to you in your character, who you are, uh, that goes through this pandemic. Because you were reference it. It's like, okay, how did you go on this path in life? It's like you know, ten years ago, there was this worldwide pandemic, and the world stopped, and yeah. that gave me a chance to start. Yeah. You understand right. what I'm saying? Like Absolutely. this is, and this this is. There is nothing uh, that is given to a believer that's not an opportunity for that believer to Absolutely. get closer to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala to Absolutely. change their story, right? Because yeah. a lot of times we have our schedule uh, yeah. dictated by others. 
our yeah. story is written by others. Like, you know, everyone's like kind of influencing it because this is what you should buy. This is what you study. This is what you should do. This is what's valuable. Uh, these are the clothes that you should have. Here now, everyone can, the noise, that noise can stop. Yeah, that superfluous noise around you can stop for a second and you can actually have a chance to think it can be a little bit more slower. It can be a little bit more quieter and it can give you a chance to actually think at this time. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I agree with that, man. I mean, uh, you know, take take this Ramadan and, and, you know, have some sort of goals for yourself. You know, I mean, even, even if the goals are not, you know, let's say <laughs> world changing. Right. I mean, no yeah. doubt. But at least come out of this Ramadan with, you know, something that you didn't enter it with right if that's memorizing some surahs well and good if that's um you know just you know having certain understanding of of some of the ayat that's good um if that even means like getting spiritually closer to allah um you know then that's good as well man i mean there are a lot of you know the, the experience of fasting and you exhibiting patience is a process right i mean patience is something that you just you just have right it, it takes yeah. like we start we talk about effort Right. And yeah. so the things that, that, that you, you're going to put in effort with, even if that means certain um, things about your personality that, you know, need improvement. If you're someone that gets angry really quick. Well, hey, if you enter the month and you leave the month saying, I'm going to focus 100 percent on my anger and my anger issues. And I want to leave this month to be a person that can control their anger. Right. And be more patient with people. And I mean, that is a major achievement. Right. I mean, just those internal things of our. Uh, you know our 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 personality, our shaksia that 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 we know our weaknesses, right? If you're someone that just you know loves binging Netflix, I mean, make this a time where you say, you know what, I'm I'm gonna try to cut down on that, right? I mean, some people are going to the you know they 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 watch a lot of Netflix, right? They have that yes. uh, what's that ti that Tiger show that's really popular. I don't know, I, have, I haven't seen it, but apparently it's really out there. <laughs> yeah, so. I keep hearing about that too. It, it sounds just so bizarre. It, I'm afraid. It, I'm afraid to even see it because it, it just sounds weird. Yeah, I just yeah, I'm just, uh, just tell me about it, man. I really don't want to waste like you know six yeah. episodes or whatever, twelve, fifty, whatever episodes are yeah. out there. It just yeah. looks so. It looks like such a colossal waste of time, right? Yeah. And I'm not trying to well, be like, judgmental. And, 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 and no, no, no. I don't think you're being judgmental because how many people maybe would watch that because of the hype? But I would say uh, that series, uh, Who Killed Malcolm X, very yeah. good series to watch. Yeah. Like right. I watched, I watched that with my daughter, and she taught me stuff about Black history that I had no idea about. She was like, she, I was, and we had some really good conversations during this whole time, right? And so I felt right. that. There, there was some benefit to that, you know, and because, uh, you know, we were, no, right. I, I think uh, we can be, we can entertain ourselves. We can do things that are enjoyable. It's not about just sure. doing serious, hardcore, ilmi stuff all the time. Right. But you can make things enriched. I think everything should be enriching. It's like, yeah. you know, you can have a snack. And it could just be junk food that gives you zero nutritional quality, you know, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Effect. Or you could have a snack that is much more beneficial. It's still a snack, right? You can right. still make it taste good, but it's more enriching towards you. It's more nutritious, right. you know? So right. have some more nutritious uh, places uh, to direct your time, you know what I mean? Right, right. Right? There's yeah. two paths, man. You can yeah, go with the apple, you can go with the donut. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 And then, but some people like they conflate it, man, because they'll think that okay, uh, a strudel 
is the same. Like the calorie. Oh, it's, got <laughs> it's got apples in it. You know what I mean? It's, got a, it's like the, you know oh, I mean? the, the, people are very good at deceiving themselves. You know? Yeah. yeah that I've uh, I've done something really good. Yeah. They, they, I mean, they they have a saying in Urdu, right? They say um, what is it? Um, akal karaya ka vakile, right? That the, the the intellect is is a hired lawyer. So basically, it'll justify whatever you want it to justify, right? If you, yeah, yeah. you know, that's why people go fatwa shopping, right? Like, ah, it's haram, but maybe Sheikh so and so will say it's okay, right? Why? Yeah, 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 yeah. You, exactly. Heart of heart, you might know something's wrong, but your yeah. intellect's always there to try to, you know, justify it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, hundred uh, percent. Like, in uh, you're in a similar situation with with some of the provinces we have here in Canada. Uh, with uh, this pandemic, but also at the same time, the um, the oil prices have really tanked. Do you find that mm -hmm. also as an added component to what's happening in Texas with the price of oil? Um, you know, I mean, my only experience in that is that I went to get some gas the other day, uh, mm. which is rare because I'm not really driving anywhere, but I, I did. Yeah. And then I found the, 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 the price of gas was really low. <laughs> so yeah, like it, that's the only effect. That ever, I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's people that work Work in the oil industry that may be negatively affected by the the drop in in, in oil prices. Um, so, but I'm but like I said, personally, my only experience in that area is has been just when I went to go get gas. I was like, wow, a buck thirty five. Like you know, yeah. before this whole thing happened, it was like a dollar ninety nine was the cheapest I could find it. You know, because uh, you know, I, I feel that now this has become a big conversation point. Uh, is the importance of the economy. I don't know if you've seen yeah. some of the statements. You have political leaders saying that. Maybe it's worth it for more people to die if we could restart our economy, or it's just going to be old people who would die. Dr. Oz, right. I think, just had a statement saying that there was a study on Lancet. I don't think he promoted uh, that uh, that we should have not stopped uh, schools, but he said that it only made a, uh, an effect about 2 to 4% in terms of lives saved. Mm -hmm. by closing down the schools. So there is this talk as well that, oh, the devastating harm to the economy. One of the politicians saying is that I would sacrifice myself as if he's really putting himself out there. Like I would sacrifice myself for the economy. Right. Right. So, you know, from from an Islamic perspective, you know, how do like, what would you say to somebody who comes up to you and say like, okay, should, what's more important for us to uh, restart this economy or to play it safer and have these restrictions and, and whatnot. Well, look, remember I was saying that we, we sometimes forget like who's in charge, man. Right. Mm. So we have our, our statistics and our economics and, you know, all of yeah. the measures that we have. And, but at the end of the day, the one who's in charge is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right. And the yeah. thing is, is that you are always again, you know, that you've, you've been guided to two Najdain. You've been two nudges, right? The hard path, the difficult, you know, and the easy path. The easy way is to say, okay, well, we got to focus on the economy and therefore let them die and, and, and it's all, okay, but I mean, let's look at that from, let's take a step back and say, all right, well, what is, what is, it goes back to those existential questions. What are we doing here? What's the purpose, right? Are we dunyawi people from, from the Muslim perspective, right? Yeah. Because one of the diseases of the heart is what's known as hubud dunya, right? Yes. And so is it, are we going to focus on the economy because we, we understand that this dunya has to be rectified and therefore we're going to do whatever it takes to bolster the economy and get it back? I mean, look, what I would say is like the economy is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? How many times, even within Islamic history, look, you know, when uh, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, when he took the reins of power, you know, he was in power for like, what, two years or a little less than two years, something very short. Just, period just, of time. Yeah, just two, yeah, just a little over two years. Yeah. Right. And 
And when he came, you know, there was a practice that the 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 the, the kind of the royal family were doing at the time was that they would not like if a person converted to Islam, they would still charge them the jizya tax instead of letting them pay zakat because in their mind they said if we let them pay only zakat, the treasury will just tank, right? And then Umar ibn Aziz comes and he says, no, we're going to do what Allah wants us to do. So if they become Muslim, then they pay zakat. They don't pay jizya anymore, right? And, yes. you know, you have a statement from his finance minister at the, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's, he basically, the finance minister says at the end of his rule, right, when he started instituting these policies, people will be coming to the treasury begging us to take their zakat and we just didn't have people who needed it. So we could not accept Zakat, so now you got to get into yeah. rulings of what do you do when you can't have people. So, and the thing is, had they thought on purely just economic uh, economic basis, and they said, and they put you know morality and rules on the side, and said we're not going to go down the path of morality, but we want to look at it as money only, they would have been destroyed, frankly, at a certain point. But at the end, and that's why, for instance, something like interest, right? Yamhakullahu riba wa yurbi sadaqat. Allah destroys riba and causes sadaqa to grow. He blesses it. Right. Yeah. There's no reason. I mean, we have a certain understanding of economy, but at the end of the day, as I mentioned, the true mun'im, the true benefactor is Allah, the true absolute. Right. Everything is relative when you think about it. Right. You have yourself, your money is is, re is relative to the economy. The economy is relative to the government policy. The government policy are relative to, you know, farming, which is relative to, uh, you, know, you know, like the, the sun, the sun. That, but at the end of the day, when you break it down, if your dependence is upon that which is relative, you will always be in a state of flux. But if your dependence yeah. upon that which is absolute, the source of all of that, you have this internal stability, this iman, right? This amana, this security that's internal. And therefore, you know, we have to now take a step back, coming back to your original question, you know, what is the moral thing to do? And that's what should take precedence over what is the just the purely economic beneficial thing to do. Right. Do, do you do you find that the Muslim community, especially with the pressures that they have faced uh, in the United States in the past uh, few decades, do you find them that uh, they are starting to take a more of a role or they're getting involved in the political discourse, like getting involved in politics? Uh, because I feel that uh, if they do get involved with some of the values that we have yeah. and are able to share that they can make a very positive uh, contribution to the political discourse. Yeah. And um, because a lot of that is, it, it, you know, the I, Islamic ideas are starting to manifest um, just on, on, on its own because people understand the virtue of some of these uh, principles. So for example, uh, in the democratic pr primary, you had a guy running, uh, for the Democratic uh, Party called Andrew Yang. And he was yeah. talking about, you know what I mean? He was talking about yeah. the freedom dividend, right? Yeah. Basically, yeah. universal basic income. Yeah. And that's an idea that came uh, from Umar bin al-Khattab. Umar yeah. bin al-Khattab, during his khilafah, right. he made sure everybody had a stipend. Yeah. And uh, it, it, obviously, during his khilafah, is probably one of the best in terms of the quality and quantity of expansion, you know? Yeah. Uh, during his time, so are do you do you have people getting involved in to the political discourse uh, in the United States? I don't know. Maybe you're more familiar with the scene in Texas. Yeah. No. I mean, we do. We have quite a few people are getting involved 
and then more and more involved. You know, I, yeah. I think the, the, the one of the challenges of politics, right, that if you're a Muslim and you're going to be involved in politics is retaining your Islam, right? Yes. And I think with that, I mean, if a person can retain their Islam and give people those higher uh, morals that they understand uh, from the position of their Islam, that they're, they're absolute and they're certain because of the fact that they come from Allah, then I think that can make a huge difference in just the political landscape that we're in, right? But that being said, I have a lot of, 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 of sympathy for people that enter politics because it is not easy to come with something that let's say is running antagonist to what everyone else is saying, right? Yes. And sometimes, you know, you, you really, you're going against the grain, you know, with a lot of the policies, even though they may seem completely moral, even people would agree that they're moral, but there are a lot of challenges that you're going to, you're going to face, you know? And again, it's, it's, it goes back to hard work, right? I mean, if, Yes, we have Muslims getting involved in politics, um, and some of them are very steadfast on their principles and their morals. Uh, some, unfortunately, have capitulated in in some of their you know morals and things. And and again, I feel for them because politics is 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 really really difficult. I mean, it's one of those things that I try my best. I don't even get involved in masjid politics, let alone like mm. national or regional uh, politics. You I, know? I, I would say masjid politics might be even more dangerous. <laughs> maybe, maybe, man. <laughs> but you know, but but I, honestly, but I have a lot of respect for someone that would that would get into politics, right? Especially if they are if they are well grounded and they're and they're, and they're staying firm. It's a very difficult thing to do, you know. But yeah, we have in, here in Texas, we have people that are getting involved in local politics. Uh, you know, we try our best to to support them whenever we can, uh, and and it's showing it, it it's having an impact, you know, on 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 the community in general, you know, which is great. Alhamdulillah. Yeah. So you you guys are going to have an election very soon. Yeah. And it seems that uh, the Democratic primary is over. You know, I find it intriguing. I I, I like I stay up to date and uh, to see what's going on because I also find that uh, a lot of the discourse, the political discourse, yeah. uh, you find that it has an effect, like it has a greater effect on the Western world. Like you'll see, like in, in Canada, we'll see some of the ideas like that, that come from, um, you know, the, uh, the Democratic Party. Uh, sure. We'll see some of the things that come from the Republican. We'll see a level of that, some of those ideas and arguments being used in Canada, you know, it's yeah. like it's like America sets the tone. Right. Uh, when you're talking about like the the rise of the of nationalism, like there's a lot of elections in Europe, for example, that uh, a lot of European uh, countries they skewed more towards, uh, you know, if you want to call it fascism, whatever how you want to classify it, they went to this far right uh, yeah. government. You know right. what I mean? So right. it had an effect after the American elections, right? So yeah. it's like it, it it sets that tone, like you know, and a whole bunch of countries became a little bit more isolationist, more yeah. nationalistic after Trump came in. Then you had like the Brexit, and you know this this uh, fracturing somewhat of the European Union. So that's why I'm actually always very intrigued with uh, the pulse of American politics because I see sure. it does have a little bit of a uh, an effect, right? Right. Um, right. So. Uh, you know what? What what are your thoughts for this? Uh, you know, upcoming fall election. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm going to bear my soul here for a second. All right. Yeah. Um, like I can't stand politics personally. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and really, uh, like my wife's into politics a lot. 
you know? Yeah. So I just kind of ask her like, Hey man, what do you think about this? And, and where, where's, what is the position on this? Um, you remember what I spoke about, like good deeds that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes certain things for certain yeah. people more beloved to them. Right. So for my wife, she's like, you'd probably have a lot more fruitful conversation with her than myself. Right. So, I mean, just in terms of like where the primaries are going, things like that. I mean, um, I was upset to see Bernie uh, not get more support. Uh, but in a sense, I was yeah. kind of expecting it as well, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then with kind of the the forerunner, he seemed now, like a guy with integrity, you know, like uh, yeah, that, we, that 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 I felt the Muslim community really wanted to get behind because yeah. he was so consistent in his yeah. political career, you know. And that's difficult, man. I mean, yeah. who's consistent for like thirty years straight, you know, with with anything, yeah. right? I mean, you're always yeah. going to mature and grow, but you know, I mean, it's certain moral issues that he was very consistent with, certain policies. I mean, he hasn't, you know, he hasn't capitulated. He hasn't, you know, budged, you know, from any of them. And I think that was very attractive, you know, for a lot of the Muslims. But again, I mean, I don't know, man. Uh, with Biden versus Trump, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's. <laughs> you know what? At least it'll be entertaining, right? No, yeah, of course. Like it's it's it, going to be like super entertaining. I just feel that like, Trump, like, unfortunately, like, uh, the way it is, uh, my, 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 my personal thought is that, um, I don't know if they're going to replace Biden in the last moment because he just seems like, uh, he's in decline. Like he, he gets lost in the middle of speeches and, um, I think they might replace him, uh, or whoever is his VP will end up becoming like the president. real president yeah, yeah. and uh um, yeah, i think it, it, it'll be interesting seeing who he picks as his uh running mate you know that'll be interesting because in essence that they, they will probably be governing because of just his decline you know yeah but Allah. but it seems it seems that people um are you know in, in times of crisis they turn to you know the authoritarian figure and yeah. uh, it, it seems that he might get set up for re-election trump the way that uh, you know, a lot yeah. of people are re reacting to him, you know, sure. so sure, sure. Yeah. But uh, I'll let you go because I know it's Maghrib uh, yeah. Yeah. In, in your end. So Jazam yep. Makhara, uh, thank you very much Bayak. for Bayak. Uh, spending nice. the time with fun. us. Enjoyed it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was a good conversation. We covered a lot of things, man, like U.S. <laughs> politics, Ramadan, self-reflection. Like we went all over the map, like, I'm you know, dead. gas prices, I'm you dead. know. Alhamdulillah. alhamdulillah. So we, we covered a lot of uh, uh, ground. Alhamdulillah. So jazam khair for that. Oh, yeah. And uh, we uh, we make dua for all of you in uh, in in your area in uh, in the United States because I know uh, you know the, sometimes the microscope is uh, pretty intense on the Muslims there. And uh, inshallah, yeah. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala can continue uh, for us to allow to do things like this together, and we can Absolutely. be uh, united Absolutely. on these uh, different projects of khair. Absolutely. So, uh, sure. to my guest, uh, Fahad Aslim, and uh, we will see everyone in our bonus podcast session this Saturday afternoon, noon MST. Uh, we ask Allah SWT to keep us upon the haq, and yeah. we will see you on Saturday in Life Haq podcast. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Do I feel that the New York police are providing enough protection or do I have to have protection of my own? I look for protection from Allah.